In these last few podcast episodes, we've been talking about the seven expectations that are placed on pastors that are somewhat unrealistic and unreasonable and led one pastor to completely leave the ministry, at least the pastoral W-2 from a church type of ministry altogether. His name is Alexander Lang, and he wrote this article that we've been going through where he listed out the seven expectations that are placed on you as pastors. And today we're going to go over the sixth of those seven expectations. I'll get to that in a second. But so far, we've talked about all of these. Professional speaker, we talked about that in week one, that it is expected that if you are a pastor, you have a professional level skill when it comes to your communication. CEO, you're expected to lead your organization with the utmost professionalism and with complete visionary and directional leadership at all times. Counselor, you're expected to be a soft-hearted, listening caring ear to those who are hurting. All who may come must find rest in you. Fundraiser, you are, in addition to all of these, expected to be the one who champions the raising of funds, both for the day-to-day, month-to-month budgetary needs of your church and whatever special projects that you hope to do as well. Human Resources Director, we talked about that last week. I bet none of you, when you signed up to be a pastor, thought that you would one day be an HR director, but for a lot of pastors, that is the expectation that you are going to set workplace culture. You are going to hire, fire, and do developmental stuff. We've talked about each one of these in the last five episodes. If you missed any of those, go back, watch them. What we did is we went through and said, there is really a way to filter through these expectations. And the way that I like to to think about each one of these expectations is through either a embrace, delegate, or outsource. So embrace would be, this is this something that I'm going to embrace personally? In other words, I'm going to take this responsibility on as my responsibility personally. And one good example of this would be professional speaker, or don't get hung up on the word professional, just insert the word skilled, skilled speaker. Embracing that is a good thing to do as a pastor because that's a big part of what you do. And even if you don't preach regularly, you are going to teach, you are going to preach, you are going to present, you are going to have to argue an idea or communicate a vision. So having that skill is really, really good to embrace personally. And by the way, it's one of the main things we do here at Preaching Donkey. If you want help with that, I want to give you a free resource. So go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days to pick it up. It's my free 21 day guide to creating killer sermons. It's a three week, three step process that will walk you through how to create and deliver a compelling message. So whether you've been preaching for a long time and you're looking for something new and fresh, or if you're brand new to preaching and you're just trying to figure out what to do to get started, there's something in there for you. And it's totally free preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. So A good way to look at professional speaker, or at least being a skilled speaker, is to say, I'm going to embrace this personally. The other thing we can do is we can delegate to someone else on staff. And we looked at the idea of counseling being something really good to delegate to somebody else, that people are going to come to you for care needs, but to have somebody on staff who you can hand this off to, who champions and leads that ministry, is a really good way to do it. That's what it looks like to delegate to someone else on staff so that you're not the one who has to own that. Which, by the way, if you are the lead pastor, there should be very few things that you personally own. 
and a lot of things should just be delegated to other people on your staff. So just watch through this whole series and you'll see the breakdown of that. And then the third thing would be to outsource. What can you outsource to another organization? So we use the example of fundraising. Fundraising is something that you're both gonna embrace personally because you have to communicate the vision. You're gonna delegate it to someone else on your staff in terms of following up with first time uh, givers and making sure that everybody is being appreciated, that money's being tracked. And in some cases you may want to outsource the fundraising event to another organization, especially if you're gonna raise a lot of capital to build a building or something like that. So embrace personally, delegate to someone else on staff or outsource to another organization. Now today we're talking about the sixth expectation that he lays out that is placed on pastors and that is to be the master of ceremonies. And he gives three examples of when you are required or expected to be a master of ceremonies and that would be weddings, funerals, and baptisms. Now, I wanna mention that these, what he points out is that these often happen on weekends, especially if we're talking about weddings, and so they can take up a lot of your time. And when it comes to baptisms, obviously that happens typically during the Sunday morning service, unless you do special services, like my church, we do it at the beach on a Sunday night, but a lot of times churches do it on Sunday mornings. Here's the thing, these types of things, of all the things on this list, should be the easiest to manage with the exception of funerals because those are somewhat unpredictable. So let me go through the order of the way I look at this and let me give some suggestions and then obviously you can filter it through the embrace, delegate, and outsource as you wish. Okay, so let's first talk about baptisms because I feel like this is the easiest one. Baptisms are something that I think should be embraced personally by you. That does not mean that you have to do every baptism, but being involved in the process and being present in the ceremony really should not lead to burnout because it's something that typically happens concurrent with the service. Someone else in your staff can own completely the scheduling, the logistics, the if you do some kind of like pre-counseling with people to kind of assess their readiness for baptism, totally fine. Delegate that to someone else on staff. But you being personally involved in the actual act of baptism, totally fine, totally cool. If it were me, I would just totally embrace it. That's what I did when I was working full-time as a pastor. No problem at all. I think that's really the easiest one to handle. Weddings. Weddings can become a massive burden if you're doing them all the time. Weddings are something that you should have, first of all, you should have a policy as a church, a written policy about how you deal with weddings. When it comes to members requesting a wedding, when it comes to non-members, all of the kind of logistics of use of space, how much they pay for the use of space, what they pay for like custodial fees after the fact, what their expectations are to make sure that the building is set back to where it's supposed to be. And if your custodian is gonna have to deal with that, then they should pay for that. All of those things should be in place. But you as the efficient should be paid to do the wedding. Now, I don't know why this is controversial. In some circles, it is. In some circles, it's like, well, no, you're the pastor. You should just be expected to do the wedding and it should be part of your job. No, it is not part of your job to do an unlimited number of weddings. You should be paid a reasonable fee. That should be, in most cases, a few hundred dollars, 300, 500, 175, 200, something to compensate you for your time. 
Because if you've never done a wedding, which I, I would imagine if you're watching this, you've probably done weddings, it's a lot of work. In some cases, I know when I do a wedding, I typically also do the pre-marriage counseling or pre-marriage preparation with the couple, pre-marriage meetings <laughs> and advice. And that's typically five to six sessions in person, you know, a couple hours at a time that usually happen at night. So it, that takes up a lot of my time. It doesn't have to happen at night. You can have them come to your office. But for me, I typically do it at night at my house with my wife. The couple comes over and we talk. So that takes up a lot of time. Then when it comes to writing the ceremony, you have to actually kind of get to know the couple. If you're going to do it right, you have to hear their story. You have to take whatever kind of template you typically do for weddings and you have to make it fit that couple, their story, what they want. And that takes work. It's like preparing a sermon. Then it comes when it comes time for the weekend, typically weddings happen on a Saturday, which means Friday night you've got the rehearsal. And whether or not you attend the rehearsal dinner really depends on whether or not they invite you, how close you are to the couple. But even if you don't intend, attend the rehearsal dinner, you're showing up at 5 o'clock or so, 5.30, 6 o'clock on a Friday night, the wedding party's there. You're the one typically leading the charge along with the person who's running the wedding, the wedding planner, the wedding coordinator. And that can be stressful because here's the thing. What often happens is uh, sometimes if the people, if, if there hasn't been some good planning going on, they're looking at you thinking, are you running the show? You're looking at them thinking, are they running the show? So a little hint or a little maybe pro tip. I do this with every single one of my couples on the very first time we meet and we talk about the ceremony. What I say is this, and you can take this and you can use it if you want. I say, you should have a day of wedding coordinator whose name is not Lane Sebring. And that day of wedding coordinator should also lead the charge at the rehearsal. And that person's name is not Lane Sebring. And hint, that's me. <laughs> that's, that's, who's, that's who you're watching. And I say it that way because I say what's going to happen is someone is going to have to tell your wedding party when to come in, where to stand, how to stand, when to leave, and that is not me. What I do is from when the bride walks down the aisle until I send you off as a married couple. That little section of about 10 minutes is me. 10 minutes, that's about it. Typical wedding ceremony is about 18 minutes. In the types of weddings I do, I mean, Catholic weddings are going to be longer. Orthodox weddings are going to be longer. Different cultures might be longer. But from the time the, the processional starts, like people coming down the aisle, everybody getting in place, the bride coming down, doing the, the actual ceremony, and then sending them off, it's 18 to 20 minutes. And the actual sermon with like the message that I do and the vows exchanged and the rings and the kiss, it's like 10 to 12 minutes. It might seem longer, but if you're actually, if you have a watch out and you're timing it, it's not that long. So what I want to do is I want to set that expectation from the very start because I don't want to show up at the rehearsal and they don't have a wedding coordinator and they're looking at me going, well, where, when are we supposed to come in? Where are we supposed to stand? That's, I don't do that. I'm the efficient and you shouldn't do that either. Unless of course you want to be a wedding coordinator and an efficient, which I doubt you do. So simple, just tell them you've, please have someone who's not me. And I typically, in the second time that we meet, I ask them, who is your wedding coordinator? Do you have one? And I will text that person or call that person and just say like, hey, I just want to touch base. You know, I'm the efficient. 
Is there anything you need from me? I, and I, I just very politely <laughs> give them the same expectation. And the reason why I'm so adamant about this is I, when I first started doing weddings, there was a couple of times where I ended up in a situation where everybody was looking at me to run the show. And I'm like, I don't know how to run the show. That's not my job. My job is to, and you can't, it's hard to say that. You have to just kind of fake it till you make it, but I never wanted to be in that position again. I am very, very good at officiating weddings. I am not good at coordinating weddings. So I just got very specific about what I do and about what the expectation is for what someone else does. So again, take that, use it for what you will. But the point is, when it comes to the rehearsal, the rehearsal, you're there. Then on Saturday, you're there. It takes up your whole t- entire weekend. You gotta be there Friday, you gotta be there Saturday, and then you typically have to show up to your church and preach on Sunday. So it takes up a big part of your weekend. So you should be compensated for it. That should not be a question. And you can set that compensation at whatever you want to make it worth it. In terms of delegating, there's absolutely no reason why you should do every wedding that comes across the, the church for request. There might be couples who don't really have that strong of a connection to you. They're just looking for a pastor at the church to do the wedding. You should have other people who can do it when that's the case. And you should be very selective, especially if you're the lead pastor. You should be very selective about the weddings that you take on. And you should make sure that the compensation is enough to make it worth your time. In terms of outsourcing, you can outsource weddings. You can just say, hey, as a church, we do a very limited number of weddings, but there is a wedding chapel in the community that that we're very connected to. You can reach out to them and you can refer people out. Now, admittedly, that's pretty rare because a lot of times when people are coming to your church for the wedding, they're coming for a reason. But often what will happen is you might have a couple who's not religious at all, they don't attend your church, they don't really attend any church, and they're just kind of looking for pastor for hire, like wedding ceremony for hire situation. I just never wanted to be in that business. That's not really what we do as a church. That's not what I do. And so it's nice to have someone in your community that you can just say, hey, I think what you're really looking for is just a wedding, (laughs) like you're looking for a ceremony and all the pieces that put together and make a ceremony happen. I think you should totally go to this organization. They'll help you out. It'll be great. That's an awesome way to do it. Let's talk about funerals. Funerals are somewhat unpredictable. Funerals can be very, very uh, bad if they're mismanaged, okay? Uh, People are dealing with immense grief and it happens all at once and it's very hard to know when it's gonna happen. So you need to have a plan for how to deal with funerals and that should be completely delegated off of your desk in terms of logistics, like working with the funeral home, working with the... Now, I will say, when it comes to connection with the family, that's really where you step in. But you should have some way of handing off the logistics of making everything happen and coordinating it to someone else if you're doing funerals a lot. And this is particularly true if you have an older congregation. I worked in a church that was an older congregation and we we did funerals quite often. I mean, the church wasn't all older, but it had an older population. And so every few weeks there was a funeral because there was just a lot of people who had gone to the church for a long time. And so sometimes even if it was someone who was a shut-in, which is a way of saying they, they're, they're either at home or in assisted living center, but they were a member of the church from years ago, don't attend anymore, but they die and they want us to do their funeral. That would happen quite often. And so if you have an older congregation and and funerals are happening on the regular, that's where you really need to have a good system where you have a pastor who's 
job it is to really manage that expectation. If you're in a church where it's mostly younger people, that's probably not going to be you're not going to have funerals all the time if it's younger people. And if it does happen and it's somebody young, that's probably when you're really going to be expected to step in because it's probably going to be unexpected. So delegating, embracing, outsourcing, these are the kind of things that fit really well with some of these other categories. With master of ceremonies, I would say this is where systems come into play more than almost anything else. Having a good system for when you get a request for a wedding, a good system for when you get a request for a funeral. What I mean by this, a system is really just a a way of doing things. Anytime your church does the same thing, In the same way, it should be a documented system. Sometimes you might call this a standing operating standard operating procedure, an SOP. It's basically like if this happens, these things need to happen. So if someone calls our church and says, "Hey, my my grandmother passed away, and we would like the church to do her funeral," it should be completely known, start to finish, what's going to happen next, and that system needs to be owned probably by someone else so that you're not having to break away from your sermon prep, break away from the things that you already have to do in a given week and manage an unexpected funeral request. Now, you may do the funeral. You may you may go and visit the family and do some pastoral care that that maybe is needed in that time, but it's not something that you should manage start to finish if you understand the delineation that I'm making. And again, with baptism, same thing. There should be a system in place so that when these things happen. Now, a big part of this guy's article that went viral several, a couple months ago was the burnout that happens from the aggregate of all these expectations. So you might be thinking, it's just one wedding, it's just one funeral, it's just a few baptisms, what's the big deal? Well, it's when you put all these things together and you add on all the other expectations, fundraising, counseling, being a a world-class speaker, leading the organization. Next week, we're going to talk about being a pillar of virtue. Oh, and HR director. When you put all that together, it's just a wedding, but it's a little bit more than that when it's, it's added to all of these other expectations that can seem like a mountain just piling up on top of you. So this is why it's really, really important to nail down the systems of these things before they become an issue. If you want to help with how to make systems, especially for things like staff development, like we talked about last week with HR, making sure that you have a good development system, check out Strategic Leadership Bundle. It's one of my courses. I help you in five areas of leadership so that you can align your preaching, how you communicate with your leadership. So you're you're communicating the vision of your leadership, putting those two things together so that your preaching and your leadership are in sync with each other. They're aligned and you can really maximize the impact of both. You can find out more about that at preachingdonkey.com leadership. So that's it for today. Remember, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.